There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone, and I'm Wanda Wallace. Today we're going to talk about innovation. Now, most of the times when I say innovation to people, they think big ideas like whole new products, totally new processes, new market segments, radical what I'm going to call big innovation. But equally, innovation happens in the many small things we think about, improve, and question every day. And as it turns out, both types of innovation really matter a great deal to an organization's success. In fact, some have argued that it's the smaller innovations that make the bigger difference in the long run than the one big thing. I'll leave that up to you to determine as we talk through the show. So what we want to focus on, though, is what do you as an individual, independent of where you are within the organization, or even as a leader within your group, what can you do to be more innovative? How can you think about the future in a more productive way? My guest happens to believe that anyone can learn to be innovative. So we're going to talk about the 63 small things, the nuggets you do at any level to be more innovative, more future-oriented. And for those of you who are thinking about how do I be more strategic, this is one of the ways to do it. Now, I guess it's going to argue that there are four categories for innovation. We're going to focus on three of those. Innovating in the marketplace, meaning new customers, new products, and so forth. Innovating inside or by observation, excuse me, so your own observations and thinking, and then a personal innovation. So my guest today is George Barbie. George has consulted on global innovation strategy and marketing with a whole range of companies across a broad range of industries. From entrepreneurial businesses to Fortune 100, from product to service orientation, domestic and globally, and functionally as well, he's worked in over 40 countries and with organizations like IBM, General Electric, PricewaterhouseCoopers, PepsiCo, and Gillette. He's also a specialist in executive coaching and mentoring, and particularly around innovation strategy and consulting with big companies. So, George, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. Um, thank you very much for that introduction. I could barely recognize myself. <laughs> well, I left off a bunch of things. For example, I left out all the ways in which you have contributed to press and Bloomberg's and Business Week and Fortune and Wall Street Journal and New York Times and NBC and ABC and so on and so on. Also, I should say, George has a book that is fabulous called 63 Innovation Nuggets. All right, so George... Before we dive into this whole topic about innovation, the suggestions and nuggets, why did you write this book? Well, I wanted to tell you, it came after uh, 45 years of actually working in innovation with uh, a variety of companies. You mentioned Fortune 100 all the way down to entrepreneurial situations, and and then subsequently, I got an opportunity to teach at the University of Virginia Darden School to create a course on innovation. And what I came to realize, and I was a voracious note taker along the way as I kept learning, is I found that it, in fact, was teachable and learnable. And a lot of people along the way did not believe that, and in fact, convinced me that it was probably odd, but I have now absolutely confirmed in my mind that innovation is teachable and learnable, and that's what inspired the book. A piece of that uh, is a, an important difference between what I think of as innovation versus invention, and you mentioned the small I of innovation as well as the capital I, but Steve Jobs, for example, was a brilliant inventor, and he understood just incredible insight looking into the future as to what he thought people might not just need, but what they might want. And the iPhone is certainly a great example of that. But that is invention, and what I like to think of 
as innovation as whether it's small I or capital I is bringing something new to the marketplace that creates perceived value. So new to the marketplace that creates value. And that might be something in the finance department, might be something in the technology area, it might be something in any part of the organization, distribution, uh, operations, things that are different that create value. So that's been my motivation is uh, let people find ways to self-discover how they're innovative and help them in that process and hopefully the book and some teaching I've been fortunate to do. Uh, and I, by the way, I learned from my students probably more than they get from me. It, it's wonderful dealing with 30-year-olds who think and uh, have lived in a very different environment than, uh, than others. It's true. It's true. It is great fun working with students. I, I agree with that one completely, and I miss it currently. So um, everyone I know who's a specialist in innovation, and Mitch Ditkoff, for example, who's been on this show before, believes also that innovation, meaning creativity, new ideas, new approaches, is a process that we need to demystify and that anybody can do it. Perhaps everybody's not going to be the Steve Jobs grand visionary inventor that we think of, but all the small things everybody can get engaged in. So now, let me back up. I want to talk about these nuggets. But before you go there, I want to ask one other question, which is, why do you think we're so bad at innovation? And I say that because all of a sudden, every client I'm dealing with around the world is hot on creating a new innovation, a head of innovation, an innovation department as something. Why do you think we've been so bad at it? Well, two thoughts occur to me there, Wanda. One is uh, the company environment. But let me start with what happens to us individually and then helping me back to the company environment. Uh, I think what happens in our educational system, unfortunately, is that we're taught way too early on that there is a right answer. <laughs> you know, and it may be our whole pendant for, penchant for multiple choice, which assumes that there is a right answer. You know, you can color in with your number two pencil. I think that the key to the educational system is to explore possibilities, to realize that there are all kinds of shades of gray, and things are just not as simple as um, right or wrong. And I believe that this happens early on, and somebody will say something in class, third grade, fourth grade, and uh, the teacher looks at it and says, well, no, that's not right. And then they look over to Johnny or Sarah for the right answer. <laughs> and it doesn't happen too many times before you start to shrink within yourself. So I believe our education system is uh, where some of this feeling of I'm not very creative or I'm not very innovative takes place. It's the big no word. But the other thing that's going on, let me work back to the company environment, is that for the last 10, 15 years, most companies, many companies, have grown by acquisition. And it hasn't really worked. And CEOs are not uh, in place as long as they used to be a generation ago. So I think what's happening there is the reason uh, top-level executives are interested in innovation is that they have to find a way to grow things internally with more within their control as opposed to looking for growth through acquisition. So I think the combination there of acquisitions not being terribly successful and the need for growth internally is one of the reasons so many companies are looking to get better at this internally. Right. That makes a lot of sense to me, too, and I certainly see that happening in my experience. Well, let's dive into these things you call nuggets. Um, I'm going to pick out a couple of my favorite ones. In this first block, I want to talk about um, innovation in the marketplace so with consumers and products and so forth. You have this nugget number four, which is called challenging the dominant player. What is that, and why does that work? Well, the I guess the... Starting with the dominant player, uh, and by that, you know, it could be a Kodak or it could be 
Ford or it could be, uh, you know, anybody at a point in time that dominated their category. It could be, in fact, Gillette, where I worked, and there's some interesting stories around that. But what happens when you're the dominant player? One of two things I would observe uh, happen. First, if you are a dominant player and you realize this, but you realize that continued growth and innovation is really your key to survival, the opportunity here is to set up a group within your company that has the liberty, the budget to look at you as a company from an outsider's viewpoint and begin to destroy it, begin to destruct it. Um, And what happens in that is an opportunity to look at you and sharpen uh, the competitive awareness so that needs that aren't being filled or if the company was concerned about cannibalizing itself by introducing a superior product but was concerned about bringing it out, this kind of a group will bring it out, will bring it along to the point of uh, uh, creative destruction, we might say. The, the second aspect of a dominant player is from the outside looking in. I love it when you find a company that is so comfortable milking the profits from its business, especially if they have a mother product that's been very successful. They may tend not to be innovative and not internally destructive. And there is a real opportunity to uh, look at the customers they've got, look at the different segments they've got, and to find the weaknesses and to go after the dominant player from an outside competitor looking in. So uh, the challenge of the dominant player is you have to be a bit of a schizophrenic. You have to fan the fires of growth. At the same time, I believe you have to, uh, as a good leader, intelligent leader, you have to realize that you need to set up people internally, call it a skunk works or what have you, that, can look at the organization, the customers, and think about how a competitor would look at it. Or, as I said, look at it from the outside looking in and hope that you can find drool if you can find (laughs) the company that is too complacent. Right. I am, you know, you tend to think about this as someone in the outside world as um, dealing with your end customer, consumers or end clients. But I work with a company where the internal IT department, the head of the department set up a challenge to a group that says our internal users believe they can buy our services better on the open market than we can provide. So how do we prove them wrong? And that's another clever way of saying how do we take that external and make sure that we're better than what the external can do. All right, so challenge the dominant player, whether you're a dominant player yourself or whether you're you're a smaller or an outsider trying to look in to challenge the dominant. What about this thing of number six for your nugget, working across divisions? Why is that important? Well, uh, certainly this is the case for uh, Fortune 500 size companies and many smaller companies as well, is that you have different divisions that are set up understandably to create zones of responsibility and encourage leadership and provide leadership opportunities. What happens in many organizations is that these divisions have common customers, and these divisions have, well, they feel like since they're going to be measured, let's say, on the profitability, they have to have their own IT group, they have to have their own finance department, you know, these things uh, happen and grow, sort of become amorphous. Uh, and what happens, uh, and I can give you an example here, uh, what happens is that the, in, the, in its extreme situation, the divisions become, you know, self-perpetuating and not necessarily uh, focused on the client and the, and the end customer. And I can give you an example because I think it has gone through some healthy change. PepsiCo. Uh, PepsiCo, we 
pretty pretty familiar with Pepsi and the beverage side of PepsiCo. Um, there is certainly the uh, the lay group, the potato chip and snack, you know, Frito Lay's, et cetera, the snack side of it. And back a few years ago, uh, it was also the restaurant division where you had, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken and Taco Bell. And then, of course, they had the growth uh, by acquiring Tropicana and a number of other uh, acquisitions. What became pretty clear, and they were fierce in terms of having these divisions independent. And then you have Walmart, who is a common thread to many of these divisions, where all these products are coming in with different invoices, different delivery capabilities, etc. And uh, Pepsi got smart. They they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put Walmart in the middle and work around it to the rest of the divisions. And it eventually changed the culture. And what PepsiCo realized is that they, if they added up all of their work with Walmart, they were probably one of the largest providers of products and services to Walmart. Well, that affected their clout. It gave them the opportunity to look at category management. So, you know, you no longer were just thinking of Pepsi beverage and Frito-Lay snacks. It, they might do a big display coming up on football weekend, you know, salty snacks and Pepsi uh, somehow merchandised together. So the, the point is that uh, this working across divisions, the efficiencies of that, uh, knowledge of customers and those customers' needs, one can often find tremendous synergies. Uh, so while the independence of the divisions was born out of an understandable uh, uh, desire for motivation and measurement, uh, this is an important factor to balance. Okay. And presumably, while that was done at a big grand scale, this could be done at almost any level where you start to recognize whatever product or service you're providing for a customer, somebody else in the organization is probably working with that customer as well. And just coordinating across your groups can lead to all sorts of insights and synergies as well. We're going to take a break in just a minute, but I can't resist this one, item number 12, one of your nuggets called sharing items for rent. So really quickly, George, what is that one? Well, uh, the quick version of this one is think of your automobile. Um, you know, you, it's lying idle most of the day. And uh, so you find things like, well, Hertz and <laughs> rental cars. You know, you could rent it by the day. And then uh, that's a sharing of a fixed asset. And then ooh, along comes Zipcar with uh, you could rent by the hour. Be picked up in the uh, in you know street parking place, and then actually this is another dimension of this is Uber, where you have rent you know really by the need for a ride, and so the concept of a fixed asset, uh, it could be uh, a, a car, it could be as simple as my son shares a nanny, he and his wife. A share a nanny, and the whole idea of of any asset, whether it's your office, your secretary or assistant, a nanny, any sort of a asset, the idea of sharing it. Maybe we can come back and talk about Airbnb, which is a, a really interesting way of sharing people's homes. Um, but that's uh, that's the concept of sharing and renting items that you wouldn't normally think of renting. Yeah, I was at an event this week uh, where we were talking about uh, sharing clothing. And most people will say, oh, no, 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 no way. But then again, you never thought you would share your bedroom either. And Airbnb has proven us that, you know, with some hiccups along the way recently, for the most part, there's a lot more we can share when the models are set up directly. So this is an opportunity for innovation. What is it that you own? that you use part-time, that you could share in some other way. Okay, 
George, unfortunately, we could keep going. I want to list a couple here that um, struck me. So talk about the future, deconstruct an industry and reconstruct it, find satisfaction gaps and create an innovative network. And that's just a handful of the ideas that George has offered in these 63 nuggets that can be put in service of innovation in the marketplace. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about innovation by observation. And again, my guest today is George Barbie. The book is Innovation Nuggets, and you can go to his website at innovationnuggets.com. And we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Serju Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is George Barbie. George has consulted on global innovation and strategy with a whole range of companies from entrepreneurs to Fortune 100, including companies like IBM, General Electric, PricewaterhouseCoopers, PepsiCo, Gillette. He's worked with entrepreneurial firms, service-oriented firms, domestic and globally, profusely being featured in all sorts of articles in Bloomsburg, Business Week, Fortune, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, TV as well, ABC, NBC, CNN, PBS. Um, so a lot of work over many, many years consulting with companies around how to do innovation. He has just recently written a book called 63 Innovation Nuggets, and his website is innovationnuggets.com. Now, we were just talking about ways in which you can innovate in the marketplace, things like challenging the dominant player, working across divisions, um, and so forth. I want to turn now to a more what I find is a more interesting part of the nuggets, George, which is this notion of innovation by observation. What do you mean by that, and why does that matter? Well, and I think what uh, is really neat is that if we take time out to observe, and I mean very consciously take time out, unplug, you put your phone down, you get away from it, you're by yourself, and you go out to purposely observe something. You might be in a shopping center. You might be uh, standing out looking over a body of water or a mountain view. But to take time out and observe, and what happens is you start to observe and see things 
the hypothesis here is that innovation is all around us. And what we don't often do is take the time out to observe what's there. And if you do, you'll start to see things. And I'll give you an example. But the key is to take the time out. I'm talking 15 minutes, half an hour, not a day. Um, and make notes. This is really important. Uh, make notes. And this, as they come to you, what you observe, don't try to filter it. Uh, just make notes. And as you do this increasingly, you'll get better and better at it. So let me give you an example or two. Uh, one is just line management. This is something that is so around us. And when it's done properly, it works. When it's not done properly, it doesn't work. And uh, this example may help. If, uh, if you think back a number of years ago when you went to a bank and stood in a teller line, and there might be four tellers operating, and you stood in one of the four lines, you kind of went up, and one line might start working faster than the other, and if you picked the wrong one, then that was a real challenge, and it took, it took time. The other uh, side of this is line management and the eye formation. Somebody invented this, and it, it is fabulous. Think about it, what happens when you go to uh, today automatically to a teller, automatic teller machine. People line up in an eye formation, and as one of the uh, machines becomes available, they go to it as, as opposed to picking the wrong line. And so simple things like line management – uh, and this, in contrast, for me, I, and I was in Russia working in the mid-'90s, uh, the line management was such that people didn't understand or believe in lines. People would cut in. You could be there with your passport, and somebody would cut in front of you. And you see it in ski resorts a lot in Europe, where the belief of a line, the integrity of a line, just doesn't happen. So... Um, the concept of something as simple as line management, which is all around us, there's a good example of something that one might observe. And I don't know that we'll have time today, but there are things about taking baggage to the airport, any number of things that you might take the time out to observe. Uh, um, as one who travels a lot, I often observe inefficiencies in operating systems, and I so badly want to get in and just organize people because just a tiny little bit of work there would make a dramatic difference. So I'm with you, lines being one, but there's a dozen others. So now you have a bunch of nuggets here that you say are ways to think about using your observational powers to come up with new ideas, and one of those is a thing called transferring. What do you mean? What happens is if we think of transferring as a process of thinking of things, something like, you know, using an analogy, um, that, and if we take it up to 30,000 feet and start to say, well, what is, the, what is the characteristic that is making this product or service or phenomenon successful? What is it that, what's the essence of it? And then think about transferring that success over to another category. Uh, that uh, There's very few things that are totally original. And I think understanding the process of observing and then understanding this concept of transferring from one category to another is <clears throat> another way of being very innovative, very creative. And maybe this would come alive with an example. Uh, many of us have been in a Ritz-Carlton hotel. And what happens when you walk into a Ritz-Carlton hotel and you have a question? Uh, you, you might want to know where the fitness center is or where, <clears throat> where the pool is. What they are trained to do is take us from that point of question to the point of resolution. In other words, they don't say in the hotel, go down the hall and take a right. They actually escort you and say, well, let's go down and we'll 
find this together. And in the process, they are also engaging you in conversation, and you'll they'll they're showing interest, but they're also finding out what other uh, areas of interest and needs you have. And it's it, it's pretty uh, it's it's pretty well by example done. Uh, I think as good as it can be done in a Ritz Carlton. Now you say, well, okay, well, is the transferability there um, accompaniment? And here's an example that happened to me. I was visiting my son in Virginia, uh, <clears throat> outside in McLean, Virginia, and I was working on a project for him while we were left to babysit. He'd gone off with his wife for a couple of days. And I went to the hardware store, and I walked into this McLean hardware store, and there was a person there. There were three, actually three or four people there, and they greeted me like, hi, how are you today? What, what is it that you're working on? And I said, well, I'm trying to work on submitting some steps, uh, front steps in for my son's house. And he said, well, let me show you where, where that equipment is. And he accompanied me back to the section where I could get all the mortar and uh, trowels. And in the process, he understood what the project was. And he said, well, here are four or five items that you need. Well, I didn't hesitate to buy all four or five. I figured this person now knew what I was up to. So there's an example of transfer, of accompaniment in a hotel working very successfully to probably trade me up working in a <laughs> purchasing in a hardware store. And I okay. love that example because it, it's uh, such a different category. And there are lots of examples like that. Example. In fact, I'm going to give you a very brief one. Um, Richard Pascal has written about positive deviance. And he talks about taking intractable problems that no one can solve. And what you do is you look for the one example where that problem isn't happening. And figure out observing, lots of deep observing, why is it not a problem here? And then transferring that to everybody else. So it's a similar kind of idea. Now, the next one you have in this whole category on innovation observations is presenting as art. What do you mean? What's that about? Well, one of the things that uh, uh, we as inventors or innovators find is that we're constantly trying to convince people. Uh, It's one thing to have an insight or to pick up an insight from a customer or client. It's another to try to get the next person that you're working with or to get an organization excited about it. So one of the characteristics, whether it's in a – larger company or even as an entrepreneur, you're always convincing people and you're essentially presenting. And one of the characteristics that I think is really uh, neat about presenting is two things, really. It's always good to have a prop. Prop makes it interesting in itself. If you can use a prop to have it uh, become uh, you know, a focus point. People tend to remember it. And an, another another aspect of presenting is the worst is uh, trying to stand up in front of a group and just talk. When in fact, if you can find a pregnant question or some way to get the dialogue started, the best kind of a presentation is really dialogue, where there's Q and A. So. Uh, if you're trying to convince somebody or a group, find a way to get the dialogue started as early as possible. And uh, if you can, work into a prop. Great. I love that. And now we're going to have to have you come back on a whole other show, George, and say, how do I get the dialogue started? Because I'm convinced our addiction in corporate life to PowerPoint is killing innovation and killing conversation dialogue, if you will. All right. I want to go to the to another one is this notion of respecting the absurd idea. There's a lot that's being said about um, listening to the crazy ideas. And you say as well, what do you why is that one an important one? Well, when somebody comes up with an idea, 
chances are they don't think it's absurd. <laughs> and uh, just somebody, whenever they put an idea forth, particularly uh, something that's different, uh, it, it's a precious thing. And depending on what the reaction is, it is um, uh, you, you can crush it, just like we were saying earlier in our education system. Uh, if some third grade, fourth grade student says something and they're sort of squashed, the same thing happens in our corporate environment, whether it be large company or whether it be entrepreneurial. Uh, protecting and coddling any idea is important. I think one golden rule is when in doubt, write it down. And that way it at least gets remembered and recognized, and then you can do the pros and cons on it. But so often, it, the seed within an absurd idea, what do you like about it, what, what concerns you, you know, sort of enumerating that, allows for the positive aspects of why that idea came about. And it may be different than what the hearer saw or heard, and it begins dialogue around that. So protecting the absurd idea, I think, is very, very important, especially in an innovative environment. And you don't do every absurd idea. You don't do everything, but at least you get it registered and protected. And then, of course, there are ways to experiment and take a, a step before you take a huge, giant run. Uh, in a corporate environment to test and experiment uh, about those ideas that are worth carrying forward. Uh, I'm a believer that uh, the absurd idea has is basically intentional to be a positive contribution, try to dissect that and understand what it is, uh, especially before it gets shattered down. Well, and often you find some of these wacky ideas are the launch part, launch board for something no one had really even considered before. But if you don't stop to listen to it and understand what it's about, and as you said, see the positive in it, then you completely miss where this could take you that's new. And you also have everybody else make sure they don't fall into that same trap if you're not respecting absurd ideas. So you're going to undermine what the ideas are that come about. I like Certainly, that uh, Apple, if you think about, well, somebody says, look, I've got this idea for not only a telephone, but you can also take pictures and you can voice record, and uh, someday we'll be able to actually see uh, facial transmission. Uh, I mean, that's an absurd idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. Not today. Uh, it's it's uh, an example of uh, something that, obviously has become quite compelling, but certainly sounded absurd in the early stages. Okay. All right. So those are great ones. Transferring, presenting as art, respect the absurd idea. I can't resist this one really quickly. Make someone happy. Nugget number 25. Why does that matter? <laughs> well, we ask ourselves the question, what does it take to make somebody happy? And what is neat about this is you really have to be on receive and listen in order to know, sense, understand that person. And then knowing or seeing that, what might make them happy. And most everybody sends out clues as to what would make them happy. Uh, it might be that they're hungry or it might be that they're they need to get some exercise. I mean, it can take you, uh, they need to get away from whatever they're doing, so they, they need to find a way to divert themselves or go on a mental vacation, uh, meaning maybe it's a five-minute mental vacation, not a five-day vacation. So the idea of being on listen and attentive enough to sense and it's more sensing than anything else. It's a form of listening so that you can find a way to make them happy. And most people, once they're been responded to like that, 
they're ready to eat out of your hand. It might be in a sales situation. It might be in a consulting situation. But uh, if we think of the word happy with a capital H, meaning please them or fill their need, not just, you know, a joke or a smile, um, that gets you out of yourself, gets you into the person you're having dialogue with or sensing dialogue. And by and large, uh, it works 100%. If you can get out of yourself and please them, it will come back to help you. Fabulous. There's so many stories about salespeople um, doing a small act of kindness, in effect, that solves a minor problem for the salesperson, but a big problem for a potential client. And then that just generates, you know, goodwill and connection and so on and opportunity. So make someone happy. Okay, George, connection we're going to take a break. Connection is the key word, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> it is. It is. Connection is the key word. All right, we're going to take a break, but let me refresh what the purpose is here. The notion is that we want to get out of only a few select handful of people can be the big inventors, the big innovators in the world, and the rest of us are just minions. And instead, all of us can innovate in lots and lots of ways. And these 63 items that George has written about are the things that you can do that show you simple, small ways to open up to innovative, creative, alternative ideas. We've talked at first about innovation in the marketplace, so different practices for thinking about how you engage your customers. We've just been talking about innovation observations, the thing that you can do using your powers of observations, like transferring or presenting as art or making somebody happy or respecting the observed idea. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about innovation on the personal side. How do I do this for me as an individual? We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is George Barbie, and we've been talking about innovation. 
in particular, the 63 nuggets of innovation actions that you can take. I didn't say that very well. The book is called 63 Innovation Nuggets. And the notion is these are the small things that anybody, anywhere, in any size organization, in any country can do that create innovation in and around them. Not necessarily the big, 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 massive new product category like a Steve Jobs. So we've talked about innovation and nuggets that you can do in service of the marketplace. We were just talking about innovation nuggets in terms of observation, using your powers of observation to come up with new ideas. And now we want to focus on this personal side. So how can people as individuals be more innovative? So George, you've got a number of nuggets in this one. What's your favorite one? One of my favorites, and and as we were talking, um, uh, Wanda, The title of your segment here, Out of the Comfort Zone, is really a very important uh, uh, aspect of becoming innovative. It's also important to becoming a leader. I call it, in my nugget, is stretching yourself. And how do you uh, put yourself into a situation where you can make improvements and and see yourself and see your environment differently and and constantly find yourself stretching and trying new things. And if you do that, the payoff is you're likely to become increasingly innovative, incre- increasingly creative. Um, and I, uh, I, I think there's a perhaps a skiing analogy that uh, – uh, it comes to mind. I was skiing with one of my sons, Jeff, out west, and we came to the top of a hill that, as far as I was concerned, I was not going down it, but it was straight down. And Jeff looked at this, and you could just see he went, yikes! You know, it was the yikes zone. And he went over the cliffs, got down, and as a result of that, he took himself to a level of skiing that he would never have imagined himself. I, I never got to that level because I had been, I chickened out, uh, you know, in that particular uh, situation. But that's the difference between somebody who's ready to enter their yike zone, I call it a yike zone, or stretching themselves or outside of their comfort zone. Um, and it allows people to think and see and feel things differently once they do it. Now, with my students, I can tell you it can also be a lot simpler. There are those students, uh, you know, MBA that are ready to stand up and talk forever. And their yike zone is to be quiet and listen and only say one thing in a class. <laughs> and I've had many students who are so quiet that we have to find ways to prompt their dialogue. And for them, their, their yike zone or their comfort zone is saying something to, to value the comment that they can add to the class. So the point here is that we all have uh, areas of comfort. We all have areas of stretch. The important thing is to Think about yourself and understand where you're coming from and find ways to purposely stretch yourself. I love that. I love that phrase, the yike zone, and identifying what your personal yike zone is. And it will vary from person to person and then not being afraid to jump into that, to try it, to do it. Now, one, there you have a bunch of wonderful advice in this section, Um One of the ones I particularly like is this notion of acting on best advice, which is nugget number 54. Give us a quick view of what that one's about. I think what happens is we often, if we're listening, and we should be listening, uh, and people respect and we admire, they'll often come up with a, a piece of advice. Now, you don't know whether it's your best piece of advice, but one of my little things through my career was to make notes. I would... I was a voracious note taker, and I would find that it might be starting a list, it might be 
some of the things that we've already been talking about, some of these nuggets, in fact, were pieces of advice that I got from someone else that I decided I'd either try to make my own or I saw working effectively for me or in the companies I was working with. Um, And I uh, just think that we realize that we met people are mentoring us, people are trying to help us, uh, writing down what you think is the best piece of advice. I recall one when I was a partner at Pricewaterhouse, and in the early 90s, uh, when the world was changing, uh, our, our senior partner on the IBM account there said, you know, George, when you're working internationally, my piece of advice to you is get on a plane and get out there and not only talk to the client, but talk to uh, all the stimuli, all the people around it. And invariably, there are things that go wrong internationally. <laughs> and sometimes it's culture or whatever. But the piece of advice was when there's a problem, get on the plane and go out and see it firsthand as opposed to try to solve it behind the desk or solve it here in the U.S. And that's what stimulated my travel to 40 countries. Uh, And I think as a result of that, people saw that there would be sort of an objectivity listening to all sides and then making a tough call. A tough call might be that we internally had made a mistake or in some cases the client was incorrect. And to be able to have been there and try to set things straight, uh, I thought that was, for me, one of the best pieces of advice. Okay. Fascinating. So the notion is then just to keep track of these, because I find some of the times, you know, it wasn't so relevant at one moment in time, and, you know, six months later, suddenly it's more relevant than you'd realized. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, now there are lots of fabulous ones in this one, and unfortunately, we're going to be out of time. So let me just tell you, there's one called Being an Innovative Rainmaker. There's one about building trust, and there's one, a really important one, about investing in yourself, what George will say, become your own 401k plan. So, George, as I look back across the show, I think the thing that strikes me the most is where you started. It's this notion that innovation can be all around us. It's almost like it's in the atmosphere, and it's a matter of us taking small actions regularly that make a difference. So what's so fascinating about the book, 63 Innovation Nuggets, is these truly are things absolutely anybody anywhere can do, both to innovate in the marketplace, to use their powers of observation for innovation, to innovate inside their company, and to personally be more innovative. So George, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Wanda. It's been wonderful to have this kind of a discussion. Great. The website, again, is innovationnuggets.com, and the book is 63 Innovation Nuggets. So join us next week. We'll be talking with Howard Ting about how to change culture. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.